In the early fall of 2019, almost uh, two years ago, is in the summertime for sure, uh, God spoke a scripture to me. And at that time, I took it as a word of preparation. Actually, I remember it was July of that summer of 19. Um, I was living in a lot of fear instead of faith uh, when I looked into the future of our church. For seven, six, seven years, we um, were worshiping in the warehouse that was right on Ashby, right behind Hawthorne Academy. And many of you have, have been there and, and kind of grew with us there. And in the summertime, we knew our lease was coming to an end and that a developer had purchased it and they were going to be um, making it a, a mixed-use space. And so we had to find a place to go as a church. And at that time, we didn't know where to go. And I was so scared about um, what would happen if um, we couldn't find a place. And, and so now I, I laugh looking back if we haven't like really met in person a whole lot in the last 16 months because of COVID. And uh, man... Like, I just had no faith back then. And, but I, I was really, really afraid. And there was this scripture that God gave me. And I want to read it to you here, here in a moment. This scripture that God gave me was from Isaiah chapter 43. It's just two quick verses. And I would love to read it for you right now. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says... Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Hear the word of our Lord. What's funny about that verse is... I thought, wow, going from our warehouse into Hawthorne was going to be kind of a river of difficulty or kind of a season of walking into the desert or even walking through fire. And I was really afraid of, of what would happen to our church. And, and as we began to make that transition, a, a pastor friend of mine um, kind of gave me counsel on like, hey, there's, there's going to be a loss and there's going to be lots of grief as you transition spaces, even if it's a better space. Um, everyone has a loss in transition and in change. And so, like, how are you as a pastor walking your church and your leaders through through the grief of that? And so that fall, I began to talk to our leaders about grief and change and like to um, kind of almost anticipate um, our people in our church grieving the loss of the warehouse as we went into a portable space. And as we got into the space, I remember being shocked, like, hey, the grief hasn't come yet. And everyone was really excited and, and loved it. And the space was beautiful and lots of natural light. And there's so much space. And the kids' rooms were wonderful. It was a better location. And I remember like eight weeks in going, wow, this was easy. Like, no one's really grieving. There isn't like a massive change. This was like the easiest church move in history. Like literally, if you didn't get the memo and you parked where you've been parking for seven years, you wouldn't miss it. You just walk across the street. And then COVID came. And over the last 15, 16 months, I, I think I've come to understand that the scripture in Isaiah 43 that God gave me, I don't know that it was entirely or primarily about moving from the warehouse into Hawthorne. I think the rivers of difficulty that we've gone through, the fire of oppression 
was to come later <laughs> as we look back on the pandemic season that we've had and the social unrest that we have and still have and the the polarizing political times that we lived in and still live in and it seems like it hasn't gone away um I don't think that the the change and the loss, the rivers of difficulty, the fires of oppression was moving church locations. And so uh, today what I'd love to do is to speak to you about change and grief and loss and finding God in that hard stuff. Are you glad that you showed up today? <laughs> It's often hard to find God when you're in a season of change and massive disruption. And if you throw some loss in there and some discomfort and some pain, it can be especially hard. It's not impossible, and some people are really good at finding God in the loss. But if you're like me, you're easily disoriented. And it's hard for me to find God in, in the change, in the loss, in the grief, in the pain, in the suffering, in the sacrifice. Uh, today is going to be really different. I don't have a proper like sermon for you. Uh, what I have is a series of questions and spiritual exercises that I would love to offer you as we kind of begin our summer season. And you won't be able to really do them entirely today or, or right now as we're doing this video. And so um, I would love for you to just look at what I'm about to share with you as me like front loading you with some thoughts and some questions and some observations and like some like areas to go dig and to have some compassionate curiosity. And then from here, you can go and walk with the Lord and do some digging and some processing and some praying in these things, okay? And so uh, in case you haven't done this, or you did this once and, quick, and, and quickly rushed on, uh, I feel that it's important that I name for you what is obvious, and that is we are all in a season of change, transition, and in any season of change, whether it's positive or negative, big or small, there comes loss. And with loss comes grief. And it's okay to grieve. If you're grieving, that means you're human and that you have felt and that you have loved and that something mattered to you. And often, God meets us in very unexpected and yet profound ways in our grief. Today is our nine-year anniversary as a church. We started... Uh, June 3rd, 2012, in the park, San Pedro Park, with six other friends and $600. It's the seven of us and not a lot of money in the park uh, nine years ago this weekend, praying, seeking to cooperate with whatever God was doing. Now, in case you didn't know, the textbook for pastors says to always celebrate your nine-year church anniversary by talking about grief and loss. I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that. There is actually no playbook for that. Uh, but it's actually strangely appropriate and one that I did not plan on doing necessarily. You know, as we celebrate being a church for nine years today, I must point out to you that the vision for our church and our kingdom ministry down here in San Antonio was birthed inside of me in a massive season of change, transition, and loss. Shari and I had lost a child through a miscarriage on our wedding anniversary, which is always how you want to celebrate your wedding anniversary. 
I'd lost several friends, several best friends. I'd lost a dream that I was working on building for four years. A job that I loved and was energized by uh, changed and turned toxic. It was draining and was filled with so much relational conflict. It was the hardest time of my life personally that season. And it was just a season marked by loss. It was a season marked by change, loss, grief. And I don't know what you were going through in 2010 and 2011, but for me, those were terrible years. In the midst of that loss and change, as I spent an exceptional amount of time seeking the Lord, reflecting, often painfully so, uh, He birthed something new inside of me um, in the midst of so much failure and loss, and it was surprising to me. And so that's why talking about loss and grief is important. And many of us don't know how to grieve losses or process change, and we're in a massive season of change as a world and as a country and even as a church. And yet God is there in the loss and the change and the grief waiting to meet with us. And sometimes, I don't know if it's all the time, but sometimes when you're grieving or processing change and loss, God is there actively planting the seeds for new things. In a moment, I will offer you a series of questions that are designed to help you discern where God is working in your life in the midst of this, this season of change. And for it to be productive, you're gonna need a few things to do that. The first thing you're gonna need is an active posture. It's easy to come to church, to sit, receive, listen, learn, kind of kick back, and that's great. But today, if you assume a passive posture, I'm afraid you're gonna leave or turn this off thinking, I really didn't get anything out of today. And so today, what you put in is what you will get out, especially in the coming days. The second thing you need is a piece of paper and a pen. If you have a journal, um, that you'd like to use, go ahead and use that. If you go to this video description or on our website under the sermons, we will post a PDF with all of these questions that you can download and so that you can um, print out and use for later in case you can't like follow along and, and copy and paste uh, you know, with your hand. The third thing that you need is the assumption that God is active. You know, Jesus is alive, he's relational, he's loving, he sees you right now, he knows what you're going through. And more importantly, he wants to speak to you and meet with you today, right now. And so I wanna encourage you to assume an active posture, to get a piece of paper and a pen or a journal, get the questions that we're gonna put on here, and to have this assumption that God is active and he wants to speak to you right now. Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that is entirely true, obviously. I've also experienced that there are times in my life, for one reason or another, where it's difficult to either love the Lord or to receive the love of the Lord, which is often people don't talk about. And if you're in a season in a, uh, in a uh, you know, a, a trial right now where it's hard to love God and it's hard to feel that God loves you, that's totally okay. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're kicking tires. I'm so glad you're um, you're giving it a chance and, and you're checking in. It's exactly what you should be doing. God will meet you there, give it time. But one of our challenges is this. The challenge is knowing how to love and receive the love of God in the various seasons of our life. Now I wanna say that again, think about it super deeply. The challenge is knowing how to love and receive the love of God 
in the varied seasons of life. The varied seasons of life. I want to highlight that. The varied seasons of life. Now, here's a mind-blowing observation that few of us have thought about. Uh, if you uh, open the scriptures and you just consider a brief portion of Israel's history in their relationship with God, one of the things you'll find is that God doesn't change but how he relates to them and how he relates to us often changes. God doesn't change, but how he relates to us often changes. Think of the exile in the wilderness. God came to them through Moses, through one, one man, and through the Ten Commandments, cloud by day, fire by night. The people of God got used to interfacing with God through Moses, through laws, through the cloud and the fire. And then came the prophets. I'm skipping a lot. But then comes the prophets. And God is speaking, but not through just one man, but a lot of people. And he's often like very loud and forcefully and kind of opinionated and like something's wrong and like it's like kind of rubs people the wrong way. And, and, and then like people kind of got used to God, uh, you know, I'm gonna say this kind of tongue in cheek, but like yelling at him, you know, like, wow, you read the prophets, you're like, whew, he's trying to get his point across. And then if you get to the end of the prophets, you get to the book of Malachi, and then you, you like turn from, from like Malachi to Matthew, that one page is 400 years of silence. Like between Malachi and Matthew is 400 years of silence. So, so you get God meets with his people through Moses, and then he meets them with all the prophets who are kind of yelling, and then all of a sudden God's meeting with his people through silence. 400 years of silence. And then that silence is broken with the cry of a baby. Then God is meeting through the incarnation. And Mary and Joseph kind of get used to baby Jesus. And, and the wise men come, the magi come to see you, and the shepherds come, and like all of a sudden, shepherds and, and the magi and Mary and Joseph are meeting with God as an infant. And then there's Jesus' baptism. Then there's the, the trinity in our senses. We hear the voice of God the Father. We see Jesus dripping wet in his baptism. And then we see the Spirit come down in the form of a dove. And all of a sudden, like God's not meeting with us through Moses. God's not meeting with us through the prophets. God's not meeting us through the 400 years of silence. God's not meeting with us through the baby. The trinity is now like can be sensed. We can hear God's voice. We can see him dripping wet from the baptism, and we can see the Spirit like a dove. It's pretty amazing. Then there's Jesus, the miracle worker. Uh, we're interfacing with God through miracles, and like the lame are running, and the blind are seeing, and the dead are like walking around, and those who have fevers are healed, and like people who are hungry, or thousands of people are fed with a happy meal, and suddenly like God is meeting in these like wonderful supernatural things. And then Jesus starts to say some hard things like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be my disciples. If you want to be first, you've got to be last. If you want to save your life, you've got to give up your life. If you want to be a leader, take up your cross and follow me. And, and like, I like the miracle working Jesus, but now God is coming to us in the hard sayings. And then there's Jesus in the opposition. And then there's Jesus flipping the tables in the temple twice and, and, and Jesus opposing the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. And there's like, for the disciples, this is freaking them out because now God is meeting with his people in opposition. 
And he starts talking about crucifixion. And the disciples, they don't get it. Suddenly, God is coming to them through death, through crucifixion, through willingly giving his life so that the religious institution and the government can execute him outside the city of Jerusalem innocently. And as we, you know, survey the wondrous cross, we see God meeting with us through the crucifixion. We see Jesus having an evangelistic conversation with the thief on the cross. We see him praying for those who are persecuting him and slandering him. We see him taking care of his mother and arranging for her care with John while he's dying. And if you just were to look at the cross, you're like, whoa, man, God met us through Moses. Then he met with us through the prophets. Then he met with us uh, met with us in the silence. And then, he, then there was the baby and then the baptism and the miracles and then the opposition and the hard things. And then now like, well, he's dying. He's caring for his mom. And then there's the resurrection. And, and it's such a flip. Like they, the disciples don't even, they don't even believe that they're still scared, locked behind doors because like they're still stuck with how God met with them in the crucifixion. And then like Jesus comes and he has to like eat to prove that he's alive. And he's got to go up to Thomas and say, look at the scars in, in my hands. And he's trying to get them to like interface with him in the moment. But they're so like, wait a minute, what happened with the crucifixion? And like they can't even relate to him in the resurrection. And so for like 40 days, he's like hanging out with them, teaching, talking with them trying to get them to, to, to walk with him as he's resurrected. And then just when they get the hang of him meeting with them in the resurrection, there's the ascension. He's ascended up. And, and it was hilarious. as the beginning of Acts chapter 1. It says, like, the disciples are just doing this. Like, they see him ascend, and they're just staring in the sky. And, like, angels have to come down and say, men of Galilee, what are you doing? Why are you staring in the sky? And, like, the disciples are getting stuck with, like, wait, how do we relate with you with this ascension? We just got used to you walking through walls. And then there's Pentecost, there's the Holy Spirit, there's tongues of fire, there's people speaking in other languages, hearing the gospel in their languages, there's thousands getting saved daily. And then there's the church that's born and the close fellowship, people are selling their possessions in order to take care of the needs of others. It's an amazing sight. It's like, whoa, God is meeting us in the upper room and Peter's no longer a coward, but he's preaching and 3,000 people got saved and there's just this wonderful all in favor that has fallen, like gladness and generosity has fallen on the church at the end of Acts 2, like we talked about last week. And it's like, whoa, this is amazing. God is meeting us. And then there's persecution. Then there's the disruption. Then there's the scattering of the disciples. And suddenly God is coming to them in the persecution. So here's the giant question. If there's only one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, which is Ephesians 4, and I believe that to be true, if it's true that there's only one God and that he doesn't change, that, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's the Alpha and the Omega, why is it that our experiences with God change and the way that we relate to God and the way that God relates to us change? If God doesn't change, why is it that the way we relate and the way he relates often changes? I've often, I've often asked this question of the Lord. It's puzzled me for years. Finally, a few years ago, he answered me. And he answered me, answered this question for me uh, through an unlikely creature. 
a cat. I was at the Pearl having coffee with a new person. And as I was talking to them, um, their, their like face was like, and, and they, like something shocked them. And as I looked over my shoulder, there was uh, a person walking by with a cat on a leash. Like I've never seen, I've never seen someone take their cat for a walk. I don't even know how they got the leash on the cat, but like I've seen people walk dogs. I've never seen anyone walk a cat. And, and, and here at the Pearl, there's this person walking their cat. Like they domesticated this cat so much that they're now going on a walk. Like had a collar, leash, and it, it crystallized for me. I, I got the answer. God's not a cat. All you dog lovers said, amen. Now, listen, the, the Bible says that he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Uh, God is a lion. He is not a domesticated cat at the pearl going for a walk on a leash. You cannot domesticate God. You can't put him in a box. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. As C.S. Lewis said in Narnia, is he safe? No. Is he good? Yes. Talking about Aslan. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's not a domesticated house cat going for a walk on a leash. And I think that part of why God changes the way he relates to us and, and, and causes us to change the way we relate to him is that he refuses to be domesticated. He refuses to be trained. He refuses to be reduced to a set of like, if you do this, 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 and this. So one of our challenges as followers of Jesus is um, if we don't understand that, we'll get stuck in a certain season and we'll expect God to meet with us and walk with us like he did in the last season, like, like the disciples did when they were, you know, when the resurrected Lord showed up, they were still trying to relate to him as if he were crucified. So I, I have three exercises I want to offer to you, and we don't have time to like sit in them. If we were to do this right, um, I would give you exercise one and then give you like 20 minutes to just kind of sit and pray and think. And then we would come back and talk a little bit and we do exercise two. I give you like 20 minutes to just kind of sit and pray and think and journal. And then we do that a third time. So it would take like 60 minutes to just like walk through this. We're not gonna do that here. What I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna like front load you with these things. And I want to encourage you to be like listening for like, where is the Holy Spirit circling one of these for you? And then um, either write that down or go and print the PDF out and then take it this week or later today and, and, or this summer or the rest of your life and have some compassionate curiosity to what God is trying to say to you, okay? Now, exercise one is super simple. This is really the, the most fun part of this whole exercise. You know, Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1 says, for everything there is a season. This is life. There are seasons. Here's what I'd love for you to do is to reflect back, and maybe you can do this quickly, reflect back on a previous season in God that you remember warmly. Can you remember a time in your relationship with the Lord that it was like the golden years? and that you just have a warm memory. To kind of help you, here's some other questions you could ask is, 
you know, what do you appreciate about that season? Why do you think it comes to mind so readily? Some of you, it's already come to your mind. What emotions do you feel when you think back on that season? How did God reveal himself to you there? Think about this season in the past that with you and the Lord and maybe you with others, and you just have this like fond memory. It just seems like the golden years. That's exercise one. You could take 20 minutes to do it. You could pause this right now and go do it if you want to do that. Um, or you could save it for later. But exercise two, we're gonna deep, we're gonna go into the water a little deeper. Consider the season that you're in right now. And it's been a hard season. It's been a season of change, it's been a season of disruption, it's been a season of confusion, it's been a season of heartache. It's been a season of loss and suffering. It's a season of grief for many, if not most. And it can be easy to see God's hand in the past, and it's easy to project where God could be in the future. But what I want you to see is, can you see God clearly in the present? Can you discern God's presence right now in this season? And here's a great question. Do you believe that this season of your life can be as meaningful as the warm one you just described and remembered? I'm not asking if you think that this season can be as fruitful or can this season be as fun? The question is, can this season be as meaningful as the one you just remembered and described? And where has it been hard to believe that? Where has it been difficult to maintain hope in that? What about this season seems the hardest? What about this season has been the most painful? Are you judging every season by the standard of that golden season? If someone encourages you to stop comparing seasons and stop comparing people, I do that all the time. Stop hesitating, stop holding yourself back. Here's the deal, when we compare and hold back, we're doing it because we're relationally hurt and we're trying to protect ourselves. Don't compare churches, don't compare pastors, don't compare ministries, don't compare schools, don't compare neighborhoods, don't compare spouses or children or cities or, or whatever. What would it look like to fully embrace this season and to accept it as if it were from God? What would it look like to stop comparing this season with other seasons? What would it look like to stop holding yourself back, but to actually say, Lord, you're in this season. However it's working out, you're here. The third exercise I want to offer to you is um, how do you, like, like specifically, how can you recognize God's grace in this present season? You know, are there areas in this season or areas in your life where you need to change your perspective? Or are there areas where some like stinking thinking has kind of crept in or, or there's just like for whatever reason, you just got a sour attitude or, or you're just believing the worst about everybody and everything. And like, you really need a change of perspective. You know, like in Isaiah 6, um, uh, uh, Isaiah says, the whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah 6, the whole earth but it says 
King Uzziah died. Like the nation is in bereavement. The nation is in a massive loss. They've lost their leader. Their beloved leaders died. Isaiah has a different perspective. He says, the whole earth is full of the glory of the Lord. Where do you right now have an attitude where you don't see the glory of the Lord? It's kind of hard to, uh, to know that sometimes. So I want to offer you uh, some more questions. And I want to warn you, this, what I'm about to say, is the best part of this whole thing. Okay? Now, usually, you know, people give the, the best up front. But I'm going to tell you, like, what I'm about to give you is, like, it's got the highest weight and it's got the biggest punch. All right? And we're about to shift gears and get super real. I've got five questions I want to throw your way. If you're like, I, I, I want to discern where God is right now. I don't want to get stuck relating to him in the past. I want to know where is he trying to meet me right now. These five questions are for you, but I want to warn you, they're like open heart surgery, okay? The first question is, where is God wanting to show himself trustworthy to you? Where is God wanting to show himself trustworthy to you? You know how you answer that question? You answer that question and you get clarity on that question by answering the inverse of that question. It sounds confusing, but here's what, here's what I mean. If you want to know where God is trying to prove himself trustworthy, then answer this question. What is the greatest fear, apprehension, or anxiety you're facing? What are you afraid of? What are you anxious about? What are you apprehensive about? And if you can name that, then you can see where God is wanting to prove himself trustworthy to you. Here's the second question. Where is God wanting to reveal himself to you? That sounds super nice. Yeah, I'd love for God to reveal himself to me in this season. Where is God wanting to reveal himself to you? You know how you find it out? You ask this question. Where do you feel most in the dark? Where do you feel the most lost? Is there an area of your life where you just feel lost and clueless and in the dark? Guess what, if you can name where you feel lost and where you feel in the dark, where you're confused, that's the area that God wants to reveal himself to you. You getting the hang of it? Number three, where is he seeking your wholeness? Where is he seeking to bring things together? I hey. I would love to be more whole and I would love to be more together. You know how you answer that question? You ready? You ready? Are you, are you ready? Where are things falling apart? If you want to know where God is trying to bring things together, look to where things are falling apart. What has been the most painful feature of this season? What symptoms of pain are you most exhibiting? Have you put on some extra pounds or have you lost sleep? Do you have PTSD? Have you picked up an addiction? Are you, are you eating more or drinking more? Are you using more language than you would like to use? Are you easily angered? Are you easily triggered? Are you numb? Are you cold? Are you shut off? Are you easily offended? I mean, ask your family. Ask those closest to you. I bet you they know the answer. What symptoms of pain are you exhibiting? If you want to know where God is desiring to bring things together and bring wholeness to you, then you ask the question, where are things falling apart? Welcome. <laughs>
The, uh, the fourth question is, where is he wanting to make you more like Jesus? That sounds like a great question. Where does God want to make me more like him? Easy. Where do you feel least like Jesus? If you feel least like Jesus in your parenting, guess where he wants to make you most like Jesus? In your parenting. If you feel least like Jesus when you're around people who are far from him and you just are really like bad at sharing the gospel or showing um, the fruit of the gospel, guess where he wants to make you more like him? It's in those relationships. Where does God want to make you more like Jesus? It's in the areas where you feel least like him. That's where God's wanting to meet you. Fifth question, last question. Here we go. And then I'll let you up for air. I know it feels like open heart surgery. It means it's working. Is where is he seeking to accept you and love you? I hate this question because it's the one that pegs me. If you want to know where he's seeking to love you and accept you, you, you answer these questions. Where do you feel rejected? Where do you feel hated? Where do you feel overlooked? Where do you feel underappreciated? <sighs> yeah. If you want these questions in, in, in depth, I encourage you to go to our website to the sermons page where this sermon is linked and you'll find the resources there. You can download it. You can also go to our YouTube channel and it'll be in the description there where you can download it. I want to encourage you to take these exercises, schedule some time with you and the Lord and meet him there. Walk through this, this pain that you're in. Walk through the change. Walk through the loss. Walk through the grief. If you don't, here's what's going to happen. If you don't do this, it's like taking a can of Coke, shaking it up, and then sticking it in the freezer. The pressure is going to come out sideways somewhere and make a mess. But if you'll deal with the grief, if you'll deal with the change, if you'll meet with God, you never know what seeds will germinate years down the road of new things he did in the midst of brokenness. I'm going to pray for you, all right? Pray for us. God, our Father, Abba, we give you thanks that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that there is one God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and that you don't change, and yet, because you refuse to be domesticated and tamed, you change how you relate to us and how we relate to you. I pray that right now you would pour out your spirit upon every person who's watching or listening and that you would bring into focus the areas of their life, the pain, the loss, the trauma, the abuse, the wounds, the hurts that you want to speak to, that you want to heal, that you want to bring wholeness to. Jesus, we thank you that you do that for us every day, but especially when you made us alive. Thank you for bringing life out of our death. Thank you for bringing us life through your death. And Lord, I pray for the future as we emerge from the pandemic and as we search your heart on how to be 
your church here in San Antonio. God, we pray you would show us what you're already doing, what you're already up to, just like we prayed nine years ago. Lord, we don't want to go manufacture something. We would much rather see what you're doing, and then we jump on that bandwagon. Give us clarity, give us wisdom, give us an imagination. But most of all, Lord, give us eyes and hearts and ears to see, hear, and sense where you are active and at work. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.